Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, bringing you a fresh episode of Monday Madness on August 1st, 2023. Yes, that means this episode is being released on a Tuesday, but that is only because my girlfriend and I were taking some time to visit my grandfather in Florida, or Pops. It was a nice relaxing trip where we spent a lot of time being schooled in classic movies. I had never before watched Donnie Brasco or Clint Eastwood's Honky Tonk Man, but now I can call myself a bit of an expert. <laughs> Outside of that, I tempted fate by braving the sunlight for a few hours with no sunscreen, and let me tell you, the sun won. Otherwise, I'm happy to be back home in a much drier climate where my towel isn't wet once I go back to use it again. But you didn't come here to listen to my domestic travel stories. You came here to get a quick fix regarding revealing statistics and news in the energy space, and I intend to give it to you. WTI prices are down just a little bit today, which may sound like bad news if you haven't been keeping an eye on it for the past weeks. Last Monday, we were hovering in the mid-$79 range, and I gotta admit, I was pretty happy with that. By the time we hit Tuesday, we tickled an $80 price and ended up crossing over and closing out Friday at $80.58. That was the high point after a month of climbs. Once trading resumed on Monday morning, we ended up hitting a peak of $81.89, which is the highest price we have seen since mid-April, and I have half a mind to think that that will continue. Like I mentioned previously, the price has fallen a bit, but as of today, rests at $81.89. 51, and not a bad place to be considering what prices have looked like in the past three months. Brent's spread has shrunk back down to about $4, which has been pretty typical as of late. Otherwise, same price action as WTI. Natural gas has had the same 20 cent swings that we've witnessed, but maybe pushing into a bit higher of a price. Nothing super significant yet. It is, it's still bouncing between 270 and 250, but once we do get into the winter, I think that uh, we'll have some added pressure from those cold, cold temperatures. Currently sits at 250 and all things considered, I'm happy with commodity prices. I really do think good things are coming, so knock on wood and keep an eye on WTI. Our next statistic is the rig count. While commodity prices may be doing well, the U.S. rig count continues to drop. The most recent rig count reveals a five-rig drop, bringing the U.S. total to 664, which is 103 fewer rigs than we had this time last year. Basin by basin, the Eagleford drops two, while the Barnett, Marcellus, and Utica each drop one. Surprisingly, the Permian added one more this week. State by state, New Mexico lost two. Ohio, Colorado, Oklahoma, and Pennsylvania each lost one. Otherwise, Louisiana adds two more to its total. The Gulf of Mexico added one rig. The majority of rigs being dropped were horizontal and targeting gas reserves. We actually added two directional rigs and one vertical rig to the net totals, which I don't believe we've seen in a minute, especially with such a huge decrease in horizontal rigs. So I suppose horizontal wells are just too capital intensive at this point. I don't see the rig count trend reversing until we sit near a $90 price for probably quite some time. I'm talking at least a couple months, if not a quarter. So let's prepare for more to be laid down until then. Lastly is the domestic inventory report in the form of Thirsty Thursday. The EIA most recently predicted a drawdown of more than two and a quarter million barrels. They were right about the drawdown, but it was actually only about 600,000 barrels. Still, a drawdown is a drawdown. The API forecasted a slightly smaller one at 2 million barrels, but it totally missed the mark with a 1.3 million barrel build. There's no 
clear recent pattern from the EIA's weekly data, so I'm not exactly sure if any trends will emerge in coming weeks. At the moment, things seem kinda flat, but they are right in the middle of the historical five-year range, which is reassuring on a supply level, even given the wide ranges we saw through COVID. Now we get to talk about gasoline. While the week-over-week change isn't too dramatic, we are witnessing record-setting lows for this time period by several millions of barrels. If we continue on this trend, we should just barely skirt into the appropriate range by the end of August just to slip out right back below in December. I imagine prices are likely going to respond a bit more aggressively, and at the moment, week-over-week prices have gone up 15 cents, so things could start to take off pretty quick here. Diesel prices are only up 10 cents, despite distillates steadily increasing and being in a rather healthy range. California is back with the most expensive gasoline in the nation, as it tops Washington state by 5 cents at an average of $5.01. The cheapest gas is still in Mississippi at $3.285 per gallon, which is a shame because we were getting awfully close to a flat $3 over there. Propane continues to raise no commotion as it comes back to the historically normal territory with very little volatility. Overall, inventories are doing relatively well and oil may be in the midst of preparing for a drop. Time will tell. I believe that's all we've got as far as statistics go, so now it's time to get into our news stories. Our first story takes place right over on Capitol Hill, as a lawmaker from Colorado's 1st District has introduced the FRAC Act, a clever acronym. No, I'm not talking about the Firearms Regulatory Accountability Coalition, nor the Food Research and Action Center. I'm talking about the Fracturing Responsibility and Awareness of Chemicals Act of 2023. Now, this is not the first time a bill has been introduced in this capacity, and more often than not, it's just trying to close what is known as the Halliburton loophole. You see, back in the day, Bush Jr. was president, and Halliburton, while they were making legislation, argued that chemical blends should be proprietary in order to protect intellectual property. Despite having previous Halliburton CEO Dick Cheney as vice president, the loophole was approved back in 2005, and legislation has been looking to patch it ever since. In fact, there was a bill from as recent as 2017 that is still pending in the Senate. The new push is a result of a recent report that determined, quote, water quality improvements after the disclosure mandates are greater in areas where public pressure is higher, end quote. This is an especially sensitive topic for Colorado, given the limited water resource. And I might even change that word limited to diminishing. The FRAC Act would effectively close this loophole and allow the EPA greater control over the process. While I personally believe this is a great resource for protecting groundwater and other drinkable water, it seems a bit problematic that it could be regulated at a federal level. After all, some states have already closed this loophole through their regulatory supervising bodies. I suppose we'll just have to wait and see what happens, but it could meet the same fate as many of the bills before it by getting trapped in that limbo. Our next story actually takes a look at nuclear energy. It's been about seven years since the U.S. constructed a nuclear reactor. Now, Waynesboro, Georgia-based Unit 3 reactor at Plant Vogtel began delivering its first wattage to the power grid. It should be able to produce about 1,100 megawatts of energy in order to power about half a million buildings, residential and commercial alike. Of course, there is already opposition from the anti-nuclear energy lobby as they are worried about meltdown risks and the issue of nuclear waste. And the other side claims that this is the best way to explore the technology and establish energy security through renewable energies. Unfortunately, 
It likely won't be an issue of total meltdown that stops this push in the U.S. and, you know, preventing a resurgence, but probably an issue of supply, especially with fuel rods. Russia is one of the largest suppliers of uranium and is home to an estimated 8% of global supply. As a matter of fact, the U.S. imported some 14% of its uranium from Russia, while also sourcing 28% of uranium enrichment services from the very same country. This, of course, serves as another point of contention, as folks would rather source energy resources from countries not actively involved in international conflict so as not to pick sides. I don't see a dramatic change on the nuclear energy stance, at least in the United States, any time in the future, but I do suppose that anything is possible. But don't forget that we have plenty of energy resources right here on American soil, even if they aren't uranium. But folks, that is all I've got for today. Again, apologies for a day delay, but I figure it's probably better late than never. We have a basin breakdown coming out later this week, likely tomorrow, depending on the day you listen to it, should come out 8-2-2023, and a long overdue episode of the Wacky World of Energy coming out later next week. As always, there's plenty of content on www.rarepetro.com that could keep you busy for literal days. I can't tell you how many hours of content we have pushed out in the past three and a half years, but it all still remains relevant. You can go ahead and give our YouTube channel a peek as well, because I believe we have a combined 5,000 hours of watch time across all of our videos. All right, I'm going to have to stop bragging. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody. 